massive organizational changes after weeks of anticipation and questions at the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. An absolutely packed show coming up. I'm Jamie Dodd, joined as always by my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who also covers the team for the Athletic Canucks Hour, brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery, avenuemachinery.ca. Drancer, we are live at Rogers Arena where the Canucks' first game day skate of the Bruce Boudreaux head coaching era is starting to wind down just a little bit. And, boy, I'm just catching my breath after a whirlwind. <laughs> what are we at? Maybe 15, 16, 18 hours of Canucks news started to break on Sunday oh, night. I thought you meant from the pace <laughs> of the no. Canucks looking like the 2018 St. Louis Blues yes, yes. under Craig Berube already. Uh, I thought you meant that. But, uh, yeah, no, it's been a breakneck 24 hours yeah. around this club. We, we will talk about <laughs> some of the uh, some of the on-ice changes that we've already seen here from Boost Boudreau. Not a massive overhaul of how the lineup is going to look. Uh, tonight, when they do host the LA Kings, oh yeah, there's a game happening at Rogers Arena tonight, but we will talk about those at some point. But yeah, the bigger news is everything happening around this organization. And again, as I said in the intro, the fact that these changes, which we've been waiting for, we've been wondering when they're going to happen, and at least some of them have finally been made official. Just to get everyone caught up, General Manager Jim Benning. Assistant General Manager John Weisbrod, Head Coach Travis Green, Assistant Coach Nolan Baumgartner, they are all out. Bruce Boudreau in as the head coach. Scott Walker, assistant coach. Stan Smeal is your interim GM, and he'll be supported in the interim by Chris Gear, Ryan Johnson, Henrik and Daniel Sedin, among others in the front office. But RJ getting a meaningful promotion yes. to, a, to interim assistant general manager. And honestly, as you look through the ranks, like our, Ryan Johnson's the one guy who's run a team. He's got five years of experience running an American Hockey League team. That, that probably makes him the most senior in terms of relevant experience, to be honest with you, member of the Canucks front office at this juncture. So, uh, you know, I read a lot into that, and, and I read into the, a lot into that on a number of fronts, uh, one of them being the experience angle, but the other being, you know, notable in their omission from the list of those formally elevated, Henrik and Daniel Sedin, which, you know, I think speaks volumes about exactly where they're at and, and how ready they feel to progress to more sort of uh, involved leadership roles within this organization. Still deliberate, still emotionally intelligent, those two, rather clearly. And the big, well, part of the big news is that later today, Canucks owner Francesco Aquilini and Stan Smeal, who again is the assistant general, or interim general manager, excuse me, they will address the media at 3.30. Now that's the first time in a long time that Francesco Aquilini will speak Since to the, the media Linden in a press conference setting. He'll take questions. Bruce Boudreaux will speak at 4.15. So again, that's 3.30 for Aquilini and Smeal, 4.15 for Bruce Boudreaux. You will hear it all live right here on Sportsnet 650. That is going to be fascinating to listen to, <laughs> to say the least, Drancer. We'll talk about that, preview that a little bit more later in the show. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. I know Canucks fans out there, you're going to have lots to say. You've got thoughts, comments, questions, whatever is going through your head, your reaction to the moves we have seen break last night, uh, and now we're seeing play out on the ice in front of us here at Rogers Arena. Get your comments in, 650-650. We'll read as many as we can throughout the course of the show. Okay, so Drancer, let's just take it from 
last night around 5 o'clock, Elliot Friedman breaks the news that Boost Brujo is going to be the Canucks head coach. Then we start to see the rest of the news trickle out, reports that Jim Benning would be leaving as well. What's the interim front office situation going to look like? Finally, we did have it all confirmed. What was your initial reaction as you started to get your head around what we were seeing last well, night? Well, I missed the evolving story because I was driving on the Sea to Sky Highway. My dog <laughs> got car sick. Like, and then you, and then I fire all weapons, right? Yeah. <laughs> I call everybody that I know involved in the organization. And you can imagine how many people pick up on a night like last night. Not many. Right. I got a lot of no sirs back <laughs> in reply. Um, but, you know, it, it, I was able to piece it together sort of about an hour before the release came out, maybe an hour and a half. And, you know, the full scope of it, the full scope of it is both encouraging and massively frustrating all at once in a way that only this Vancouver Canucks organization can possibly be. Yeah. You know, I think they got some key things right. Right. I, got, I think they got some key things right. One, I think the hire of Boost Boudreaux makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I think it's a sharp decision to bring in a coach that stands in such stark contrast with the coach that existed previously. Yeah. I think if you'd replace Travis Green with Brad Shaw, it would be literally a nothing move. Like, it would just be, hey, we did something. We, we did something because we had to we do something. We did something. And this is something. Yeah. And this is something. But it's not really. It kind of would have been nothing. It, it wouldn't have passed the David Letterman, is this something or is this nothing <laughs> test. So I like that because, you know, Travis is obsessively detailed, right? He's an X's and O's guy. You know, we've seen him juggle his lines in-game. We've seen him load the deck, uh, you know, manage every little angle to try and get every possible edge. And Bruce Boudreaux is a player's coach. Bruce Boudreaux, the, the line or the word combination, the phrase that got thrown around most commonly when I reached out to some of the players I know who are in my phone who have yep. played for Boudreaux previously was easygoing. Well, you know, this team looks like they could use some good times. Like, th they look like they could use some good times. And if you're going to replace a head coach in season, you need to replace him with a guy that players will want to play for if you're going to get any bounce from it, right? Otherwise, you're just doing it to do it. No impact, whatever. But Boudreaux actually has a shot at being a shot in the arm. And I, look, this Canucks team is so far out of it. Yes. They need to win like 8 of 10 before we even talk about oh. them having a shot. Yeah. They don't even have a shot at a shot right now. Yeah. So, you know, we're not do going down that road. But it does matter, and we've talked about this before, it does matter to see what some of these players look like in a new environment. It does matter to see if Pedersen can refine his form, you know, with a, a changed environment in terms of his day-to-day -day experience at the rink. And that's what the Canucks have achieved here. I like the Bruce Boudreaux hire. I even like the length of it. I like the two years. I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I like that it's yeah. not a Paul Maurice situation where it's like, earn your keep and we'll keep you. It's like, you know, you've got two years. You're, you're clearly a bridge here to perhaps a continuation, yes. but also, you know, we're not the guys who are going to make that decision. You get some security. We get a big-name coach, and, you know, it's not so long that it's, you know, uh, that anyone who comes in has their hands right. tied. And, in fact, it gives them another year of runway if they want to keep evaluating the organization should the Canucks ultimately bring in a president of hockey operations or a general manager to, to lead this ship. And, of course, the organization expressly said that they that search is underway and hopefully we'll get more details about that at 3.30. So I like that part of it. But, but, and there's always a but with me, as, as our listeners know. You know, I don't love the timing all around. Like, I still do not understand how this organization so consistently fails to treat people fairly. 
right? Like for multiple weeks, at least 20 days, and probably a little bit more, we've known that this was coming. We've known that the public's crisis of confidence in this organization and in organizational leadership would result ultimately in a night like Saturday. Yeah. We knew that. And we knew that the club was looking to replace Green, and clearly they were. <laughs> clearly Bruce Boudreaux didn't get done on Sunday morning. No. You know, I mean, maybe it got done on well, Sunday morning. Well, but the conversation started before that. It, it clearly and, has and been in the works for a while. conversations with Claude Julian, and that's on a, and it's on. been an open secret. Open secret. So yeah. so you, you have Green weathering this and being the only person speaking for the organization while they're clearly trying to replace him. And finally, you know, Jim Benning, you can disagree with his hockey moves all you want. Like, why did he have to be publicly rejected, tarred and feathered, for the organization to make the decision that's been obvious to the entire industry for four to five weeks? Like, this was always going to happen. I don't understand why a jersey needed to hit the ice and why, you know, sort of his Canucks tenure needed to be tarnished with these images of of the market literally rebelling against his leadership. Like, he didn't deserve that at the end of the day. And this organization ultimately does need to figure out how to treat people better if you're going to recruit and keep the type of top talent you need to build a durable winner in this league. And there's two things about the process that really stand out to me, Drancer. And we've talked at length on this show about, look, the interim route exists for a reason. It's something NHL teams do for a reason. Why is there such reluctance to use it here? And ultimately, they do end up. Their hand was forced, and they have to name an interim general manager. They get a head coach for next year as well, so they avoid that. But they do have to use the interim tag on Stan Smeal, the new general manager. Yeah, they manager. did it anyway. Exactly. They did, they it, anyway. did it anyway. We and, all knew where this was going, and, and they had a, to do it anyway. And that was a foreseeable result. And again, the yeah. two things that stand out for me are, one, this is now the second time in a row, and two consecutive times, that massive organizational changes have happened, seemingly, and I... I don't think we're going on a limb here to say as a direct result of a fan revolt at the arena, right? <laughs> so I- I- is that the new standard, the, right? The fans are revolting. I, I that, couldn't agree more. Is that the new standard <laughs> that that that's that's the only circumstances where changes are going to happen is if an embarrassing scene like we saw on Saturday and like we saw so many years ago in the last days of the Gillis era, is that what what the message this fan base should should understand here is that Look, the only way changes are going to happen is if we do something, we throw jerseys on the ice, and if we chant, because that just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense as an organizational process for me, for an NHL team, to say, you know what, we're only going to make changes if it gets as bad as it can possibly get. I I don't understand that, and I don't think that's, to say the (laughs) least, a smart process going forward. No, well, also, also... At some point, you got to stand by your people. Like, at some point, you need to show at least a modicum of loyalty to your people. Now, you know, Jim Benning, his... Tenure as general manager probably should have ended multiple times over several yep. years, for, for simply because of results, for for nothing else. But you know, you go back to the Gillis era, and really, the reason that fans were revolting was the club's performance under a head coach who, you know, wasn't his first choice, and the bungling of a goaltending situation. Like that was most often cited as a fireable offense that a few years later results in this organization having Markstrom and Horvat and remain the best rebuilding moves yeah. that this organization made, you know, involving the 2011 core. Like, by a lot. Like, those moves aged really well. <laughs> so, you know, at some point you got to stand by your people. Um, and, and certainly, you know, it, it is evocative of a famous Sam Pollock quote. Sam Pollock, of course, the greatest general manager in NHL history. Longtime Habs GM constructed the... Eight, the Habs team that only lost eight games in the, in the late 70s uh, all season. 
And his quote was, if you think like a fan, you'll soon be among them. Yeah. Right? And there are huge questions about, you know, the fan that runs this team and who will meet with the media at 3.30 for the first time in eight years and who directly hired Bruce Boudreaux. And that's another part of the process that I don't love, even though I think the length is right and the hire is right. It it might be an example of bad process, okay result. Yeah. Right? But bad process, okay result means you got lucky. Yes, 100%. You, know, you can't replicate yeah, 100%. it. 100%. Like, you need to be able to... You, you, you need to get the process right. You need eventually. to get the process right or you're not going to be consistent. And if you're yep. not consistent in hockey, an 82-game season and then a three-and-a-half-month playoff run, you're never going to win. Well, and if you're, not con- if you're not consistent over a period of years with yeah. your off-ice decisions and your off-ice process, You right? need That's... to be consistent and lucky. You can't just be lucky. And the other thing I just want to say, and you touched on this, right, with the idea of... And this has been a topic of discussion, certainly on this station in the market, is the idea that they are just they were straight up not treating Jim Benning and Travis Green the right way towards the end of their tenure, given that we all knew and all expected these types of changes were coming. And we get pushback on that idea, Drancer, from a lot of fans saying, you know, these guys are well compensated and they're not getting the job done. Who cares about their feelings? Okay, that's fine. Even if you put aside, even if you... You don't value the feelings of Travis Green and Jim Benning whatsoever or treating them the right way for, for the sake of you know treating people the right way. If you don't value that whatsoever, from a purely pragmatic perspective, it's still not the best thing for the organization because, as you said, they're now in a position where they need to attract and recruit not just one guy to come in, but ideally you're trying to go out and hire a bunch of different people to flesh out your hockey operations department. And even beyond this hiring cycle, in general – I mean, you want to have the reputation as a team and a franchise and an organization that treats its people the right way. That is going to help you have success in this league. And if you don't have that reputation, it's going to be an obstacle that you have to overcome. And I don't think a tax look, you have to pay. Look, it becomes exactly. a tax you have to pay because right? ultimately, you're you know, we all know it's one of 32 jobs. You're going to be able to attract people, but as you say, it's an obstacle. It's a tax you have to pay. They, they established that tax on themselves, I think, over the last few <laughs> well, weeks. And you have to pay it on executives, and then it spills over. You have to pay it on players. You have to pay it on coaches. Like, you, you know, on and on down the ranks, right? If yep. you're a world-class club, right, you, you, you get the deals. You get the, the, you get the deal done for a year shorter and 500K cheaper, and that makes the second-line center the type of piece that can fit into the puzzle of, of a cup contender versus being a contract that is fine because the player is good but ultimately would get through waivers like an Adam Henrique or something like that. Yeah. You know, like so it's just a tough it's a tough business to be in when you are bleeding value at the margins all over the place as the Canucks have been. Now, look. They have changed direction in a pretty fundamental way. And we'll see sort of how this ultimately looks, but from the vantage point of today and awaiting comments from ownership on the record in front of an open media session, right? The big question that I have is with with Jim Benning ousted, right? And with ownership being tied directly to the hire of Boudreaux, directly, yep. right? And and now an interim management group sort of underneath, like what is the mandate of this interim group? And you know, in terms of the search itself, is it an ownership search directly? Obviously it is. Like, we all know it is, but are they even going to do the dog and pony show of, of pretending that Smeal and this interim right. group are helping to guide this, like, team of elders helping to guide the organization forward? Um, what is their – are they able to make a core trade? If someone comes and blows the Canucks' doors off with an offer for Brock Besser or a JT Miller, are they empowered to make that deal? 
or is that an ownership decision fundamentally? Like, are there actually hockey people in charge of this club? Or are, are we, in fact, sort of doing a pantomime GM search for, you know, the purpose of obfuscating what's clearly true, which is that, in fact, the president of hockey operations exists. He, they just call him the chairman and governor. Just the owner, yeah. And that those are massive questions. And those are, I would certainly anticipate, questions of that nature are going to be put to Francesco Aquilini when he speaks to the media at 3.30. Again, you will be able to hear that live on Sportsnet 650. Just on the point of, I, I do want to get into Bruce Boudreaux's immediate impact, not in terms of the standings, but immediate impact on some of the players and the personnel and the lineup in just a second. But as you said, you know, Elliot Friedman was on the station with Halford and Bruff earlier this morning, and one of the things he said is, and he, he repeated this on the Merrick show as well, is that, look, they're they're not done here, right? There are more moves coming, and obviously you can look at the front office situation and with Stan Smeal as the interim, and Francesco Aquilini has come out and said directly, we are undertaking a search for new hockey operations leadership. Of course, there's more changes coming, but Friedman also said, look, they're going to take a long look at roster moves. And that raises the question of, well, who's in charge of those roster moves right now? Do Stan Smeal, you know, does Stan Smeal, in coordination with Ryan Johnson and the Sedins and others, have the ability to trade a guy like JT Miller? To make a major move. Make a major, major yeah. move. Not, I'm sure, not claiming Riley exactly. Nash off waivers. Exactly. Which, which they should do. Yes, I'm sure the they have <laughs> the, the, obviously they have the autonomy to do that, but as we've discussed, there's there's major moves that have to be considered, that have to be discussed, that have to be explored. That should start happening right now. Does this group have the ability to do that? And if not, what's the timeline on getting somebody in who will have the ability to do that? Because, again, uh, as Elliot Friedman is reporting, you know what he said was the Canucks are out there making calls, exploring basically every option at the GM or hockey operations leadership department. So that's going to be a major talking point when Francesco Aquilini speaks later today. Uh, one thing, industry expectation, no one, no one believes that this is going to be a long drawn out search. Now, right. that, now that the band-aid's been pulled yes. off, everyone I talk to who has, you know, familiarity, like in the Vancouver hockey scene, everyone who has familiarity with, you know, how the Aquilini family prefers to do business with how this team is run historically, like everyone Everyone believes that ideally they find someone quickly, that that is going to be their preference. So we'll see if that comes. I, I don't have that confirmed like from a source with direct right. knowledge, but industry expectation is that their preference is going to be to move pretty quick. I mean, it's hard to see how that wouldn't be at least their preference, right? Like totally. that has to be their preference. Now, will they be able to execute it? Will, will they be able to execute it with a hire that makes sense, that, that starts to restore confidence in the market? That's obviously a much trickier question, but – the status quo from a front office perspective that we're looking at right now obviously is not tenable in even the medium term, right? That's a short-term fix. As you said, the Band-Aid has been ripped off. Now you got to go and find your long-term solution as soon as you reasonably can. That, that seems to be obviously the next step for this organization. So right now, one of the things we do know, I wouldn't call it a long-term solution, but signed for the remainder of this year and next season, of course, is head coach Bruce Boudreau. And Bruce Boudreau, long history as a head coach in the NHL. He has won a ton of games in the regular season, to be fair. Had some struggles in the playoffs, but he's had a very, very successful regular season coaching career. Now he's the guy. <laughs> now he's the guy in Vancouver. And you talked a little bit about the style difference between Travis Green 
and Bruce Boudreau and how, you know, that if you're looking to improve the team's performance, that's the kind of move that probably makes the most sense. But beyond just the in season in particular, beyond the in season. And here's the thing, whether the Canucks made a coaching move or not, they were probably going to have better results on the ice just because their results to start were so incredibly poor. Right. So, yeah, they probably will perform better under Bruce Boudreau, but that was probably happening either way. But beyond a, a team results perspective, is this really about Elias Pettersson and, to a lesser extent, Brock Besser? What effect Bruce Boudreau can have on those two players? It has to be a big part of it. It has to be. Yeah. You need to and, – and look, the organization, I think, has had this as a front-of-mind concern over the course of the past four or five weeks as things have slowly unfolded, far too slowly for uh, the taste of most Vancouverites. But, you know, you – if you change the general manager and his lieutenant, his primary lieutenant, John Weisbrod, right? If you change that up, then that impacts the players not one iota. They read about it, they get asked about it, but they come to work day to day. They don't see Jim. No. They don't. They don't deal with Weisbrod day to day. You know, he's on the plane with them, but it's not like the head coach is the metronome. You know, by which day to day life in the NHL is set and flows through, right? Like, that is the pace setter, the schedule maker, the guy you have to go to to, you know, get a day off in a, in a nice city. Like, he is your manager. He is your day-to-day guy. And if you don't change the coach, you don't change that experience. And with how joyless this club was performing, I don't think you could say that their work ethic was bad. Like, even, even against Pittsburgh, I didn't think the club got – terribly outworked it was just that they don't have any speed they can't move the puck yeah. from the back end they can't make simple plays to retrieve the puck and send a clean pass into the neutral zone to hit a forward with speed this team on a team level cannot do that they can't i don't think it's been a work rate thing it's not been a, ideal not, not ideal. A, it's a problem yeah it's a problem unfortunately bruce boudreau like i think bruce boudreau will have a really big impact right out the gate and yet you know, he's not... He's not going to get out there and make an outlet pass. He's not two right-handed defensemen. No. Who can play in your top four. He's not. This is not who he is. He's, he's a coach. So, you know, I, I think, though, overall, I wouldn't look at the work rate and say that it was off, but the joyless tenor around this team, the long list of players that haven't performed to their capabilities or have regressed significantly or performed at such a level that you question what they are in this league, right? And Elias Pettersson's obviously the headliner on that list. You did need, I think, to change that environment. And, and I think the organization recognized that. I think they were right. At the end of the day, I think they were right. What, whatever I might quibble with process or how it was done or who made the Timing, decisions all that, or yeah. who made the – I think they were right about that, dead right. And so I think, you know, one thing that Boudreau gives them some space to do is see how some of these guys on whom you're going to need to make really crucial organizational-level decisions – right, based on their form, how they respond in a different environment, right? Like, I think that's such an important thing to figure out. And, you know, just to use an example from last month, if Pedersen is what Pedersen looks like now, you need to be bidding for Jack Eichel, Yeah. right? This club didn't bid for Jack Eichel. They weren't involved with that. But if Pedersen isn't a guy you can see being a first-line center on a Stanley Cup contender, which, by the way, and I just want to make this abundantly clear as if our listeners don't know, I believe he can be that player, I, in fact, I don't have a lot of doubt that he can be that player. But if you do doubt it, then the Jack Eichel trade is the type of thing you need to be involved in, or or you need to be dismantling this roster to lose yep. 
Because there's basically only two ways to get those players. You either make the Jack Eichel trade a month ago and cross your fingers that his recovery goes as well as it seems to be, or you draft in the top ten for another few years until you find that guy. I mean, that that's a huge like that. There's almost no bigger question the organization needs an answer to. And if a change of environment, day-to-day environment, gives you a window into that, gives you an evaluative opportunity that you feel is like more controlled, like a, a control group, I, I think then that makes a ton of sense. And in fact, it's something you had to do. You need to get the best information possible on what Elias Pettersson is and what role he's going to play for you for the foreseeable future. Not just this contract, but his next contract as well. As you said, that is the biggest on-ice question facing this team and Bruce Boudreaux look he has the reputation well earned of getting really positive results from his top offensive players if he can do that and he can reestablish the confidence that as you say Elias Pettersson is or can be a legitimate number one center on a Stanley Cup contending team that is a massive massive question answered for this organization there are other questions that need to be answered as we've talked at length about Bo Horvat JT Miller Brock Besser their contract status you know, demands consideration, demands at least that you do consider the possibility of what moving on from those players would look like. But long term, Elias Pettersson is the guy one way or another who can change the trajectory of this franchise. And if Bruce Boudreaux gives you the best chance to get the best out of Elias Pettersson, that's obviously massively important. We will tell you more about what the on ice version of the Canucks, at least you know, today in their very, very first time skating with Bruce Boudreaux looked like some lineup tweaks, especially on the power play as well, to tell you about. By the way, there's a game. Alex Edler is making his return to Rogers Arena as a member of the LA Kings. We'll look ahead just a little bit to that. Plus, we'll talk more about what to expect. What do you want to hear from Francesco Accolini when he meets with the media later today? Plus, we'll read a lot of your texts. They're coming in 650-650. Keep them coming in. That's all coming up next. Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back. It's the Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. Jamie Dodd and Canucks insider Thomas Strantz here with you for another half hour live from Rogers Arena. The day after the Canucks made massive sweeping changes, I think is what we're officially calling it here in the market, Drancer, to their organization. Jim Benning, Travis Green, John Weisbrod, Nolan Baumgartner all out. Bruce Boudreaux, Scott Walker in behind the bench. Stan Smeal, your interim general manager. And again, as a reminder, Francesco Aquilini and Stan Smeal will address the media at 3.30. Bruce Boudreaux will speak at 4.15. You can hear that all live right here on Sportsnet 650. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. AvenueMachinery.ca. We're going to play some Bo Horvat when we yep. have it shortly. Yep. But the top-line item from the Horvat availability, I don't think anyone wants to rebuild here. Bo, we know. We've been watching this team for the last decade. We know. And that's a problem. You're you're not going to get a lot of players come out and say, I want to (laughs) rebuild. That's not how players think in the NHL, right? But we will play the full Bo Horvat audio. He just finished meeting to the media. We'll get that turned around and ready to go for you, and you will hear it here on Sportsnet 650 as soon as we have it ready. Lots of text coming in, as as to be expected. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, this one unsigned. Any different line rushes in practice? What players do you think could have a fall-off 
in production, a fall off in production. Normally we see that question phrased the other way. Who do you think is going to get a boost with the new coach? This one, this uh, texter wants to know which players do you think could have a fall off in production with Boost Brujo. Before we get to the second part of that, we will run through what the lines looked like for the Canucks in Bruce Boudreaux's first skate with the team. So <laughs> the headliner <laughs> right, off, right off the top. Pearson Horvat. Horvat. Yes. Horvat. Still together. Horvat still with Tanner Pearson. Uh, Niels Hoaglander, the other guy on that line. JT Miller skating between Brock Besser and Jason Dickinson. That's a trio we haven't seen. Uh, we didn't see under Travis Green. Yuho Lamico, Alex Chason, and Tyler Mott on the quote-unquote third line. And they skated fourth, but as you know, uh, the order they take line rushes doesn't mean a whole lot. Elias Pettersson in between Vasily Podkolzin and Connor Garland. Justin Dowling was your extra forward this morning on the ice. So nothing groundbreaking there necessarily, but to me it stands out. Pettersson, you know, with two skill players, two players with high-end potential yeah. at least offensively, that's something we haven't seen over the last few games with Travis Green. And Jason Dickinson with Miller and Besser is an interesting one as well. Dickinson being given a shot again, right? Like yeah. this is a fresh start for him too after his first 25 games with the club probably didn't go the way anyone hoped. Uh, but also, you know, the big thing the big thing that I read into that, what does it mean when you put Dickinson with Miller? It means that you're building a shutdown line. That is your tops. That is your top line in terms of your matchup line. In terms of playing matchups. So, you know, I, I think I wonder too like against a team like the Kings that come at you with Kopitar and Dano, you put Miller with Dickinson and then you 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 have last change, so you get to match up one of them against that group. Then they get to decide which of Horvat or Pedersen they sick their other big men at center on, and one of them's going to have free reign against your bottom six, right? That, that's that's the tactical takeaway that I sort of bring from what Boudreaux rolled out in terms of his forward lines on Monday. Yeah, and Patterson, as I said, with Pod Coles and Garland, the other one. We have seen that before, but the other one that stood out for me. Then on the power play setup, interesting. On power play one, Hughes at the point, no surprise there. Garland and Pedersen playing their, their off flanks. Pod Colson in the bumper spot, and the more things change, the more things stay the same. Alex Chason, net front on power play one, but the Pedersen, Pod Colson, <laughs> Garland. So Horvat and Pearson still together, Chason yes. at the net front. There you go. <laughs> Canucks fans already losing patience with the Bruce Boudreaux era. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, but the, the interesting thing, thing there is Pod Colson getting the chance on power play one, and I also thought the Pedersen, Garland, Pod Colson trio staying together. I mean, they'll suit up at five on five. They'll line up at five on five together, and they'll line up on the power play together. On power play two, it's OEL on the point, uh, Horvat and Miller on the flanks, Besser in the bumper spot, and Tanner Pearson in front of the net on power play two. I mean, interesting. Pod Colson getting elevated. Um, you know, not a ton of changes really no. to me. Like that's basically the same personnel they've rolled out with. You know, no Horvat at the bumper. Uh, Bick Nazar will be very happy to yes. see Besser move to the bumper. He sure will. But, yeah, I mean, it's 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 not an outside-the-box look for what we might have seen uh, from from Green. I think the forward changes are, are much more notable, especially Dickinson's elevation and the idea that Dickinson with Miller might be used a certain way, a way we haven't seen them be used for the most part yet in Dickinson's tenure in Vancouver. And no major surprises in the defense pairings as well. OEL and Myers, Hughes and Hamannick. Hamannick was called up again uh, by the team today, so he's back from the AHL with the big club again. Shen and Poolman on the third pairing, and then Brad Hunt and Kyle Burrows 
uh, uh, were the extra pairing today at game day skate. So as an early preview of how the Canucks will line up against, again, Alex Edler and the LA Kings tonight at Rogers Arena. We should have the Bo Horvat audio ready to go momentarily, just waiting to hear uh, from Mission Control that it is good to go. But we'll get that to you as soon as we possibly can. In the meantime, keep your text coming in, 650-650. Let's come back to the question that the texter asked, by the way. Who's sure. going to fall off? Sure. And I do think the guy to look for is Miller, right? Because not just has he been put with Dickinson, which is sort of the, the jerk spin that you could put on it if you were so inclined, and that's not the spin that I want to put on it, but Miller was pretty clearly empowered in a totally different way by Green than he ever has been by any other coach at any point in his NHL career. Miller became a Mr. Fix-It for this club under Green. Uh, Green's representative on the ice, as it were. Uh, played, you know, top, top line minutes. Penalty killed. Played on the power play. Quarterback the power play. Initiated the power play from his strong side. Now he's PP2, and he's in the same spot, but that's a little bit different, right? As... Miller's Canucks tenure under Green evolved, he'd become more central to the club's plans on an on an almost everyday basis. Like he was, you know, everything for yep. this team. Regularly over twenty minutes of ice time, just like completely leaned on. Now, that could change. That could be the sort of thing where a new coach comes in and thinks, Hey, you know, you're a top six forward. You're not my everything guy, star player who I'm going to empower above all else and so that would be the one that i'd watch for is how does miller's role evolve with a new coach calling the shots and dictating the minutes and when you just think of the question you know whose production is likely to fall off you're probably going to look at guys who've been producing really well right because there's not a lot of room for brock besser or elias patterson's production to fall off miller has been one of the forwards who's actually been putting up points on a consistent basis for this team so just by the law of averages, the likelihood of regression to the mean, and as you said, the potential of moving into a new role uh, with Bruce Boudreaux running the show for the Vancouver Canucks, it's not that he'll necessarily be a dramatically less effective player in the minutes he is on there, but will he get the same sorts of opportunities, which as you laid out, man, he got a ton of opportunities to do different things and drive the bus for the Canucks under head coach Travis Green. Again, just moments away from having that Bo Horvat audio ready to go. This text comes in. So you're saying trade Miller quick. Is that what you're saying, Drancer? Well, I, I, we've talked about it. It's it's a discussion that needs to happen at some point, but I don't think you're saying I'm not. has to go right now. No, but, uh, but I mean, is there a chance that Miller's value will never be higher than it is today because of the way that Green utilized him? Yeah, I do think that that's a, that's a meaningful risk, but... At the end of the day, not something you can worry about too much, considering the fact that you are in a moment where you're building a bridge to a next era for this hockey team, right? This is not the final destination, nor do you have the final shot callers in place, I think, to really make that decision just yet. Bo Horvat audio? We go into Bo Horvat? We are ready. Bo Horvat, the captain of your Vancouver Canucks, just moments ago finished speaking to the media, and he started by addressing the massive changes that have happened with the club. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, a lot's been happening. Obviously, um, you know, it's uh, it's never easy to to see people like that go. I've been working with uh, obviously, you know, Grainer and Bomber and and um, you know Jim since basically I got here, and um, you know, it's uh, it's never easy in this part of the business for sure. 
Have you talked to Bruce one-on-one -on -one yet as captain? And what was the message this morning, Bo? He's, he really, he's really good at calming the waters and maybe reaching players on a different level as a player's coach who really loves to up-tempo play. Uh, what was the message this morning? Um, yeah, I did. Um, you know, Bruce has a you know a lot of positive energy, and and uh, you know he wants to get the best out of his players, and you know he has a uh, you know a few new ideas and and ways that he thinks we can improve as a team, and excited to get that uh, going here tonight. It's a lot. His top players a lot. He did it in Minnesota. A lot of guys had a big bump in their first year with him. How much do you think that can help? Not just yourself, whether it's Bess or Petey. He took Bess aside this morning. A little reassurance. Uh, do you think that's a real positive development here, in the sense that he likes to run with his horses? For sure, uh, I think that's. I think that's exciting. It's exciting for uh, for the young guys. It's exciting for um, you know even the older guys as well. Um, obviously, uh, to have you know a new voice and and uh, a guy that's you know he's uh, obviously going to play us uh, a ton. And um, again, it's it's up to us to perform for him. Do you sense the mood even in 30 minutes is just a different mood? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, our team needed a spark and, and uh, Bruce coming in and, and having positive energy and, and wanting us to do well and believing in our group, I think, uh, you know, it brings us new life. And um, But at the same time, you know, we have to go out there and prove it now. I mean, there's uh, it, it's up to us. It's always been up to us. Um, we all got to be accountable in there and, and go out there and prove it. Oh, what a... Coaching changes made. It's sort of about the here and now and the product on the ice. But when there's a managerial change, now it's setting the course for this organization moving forward. You don't have to make a decision this morning, obviously, but the next 18 months like, are big, I would imagine, for you uh, and some other guys. Like, How important is it for this organization to set a course that you as a player can buy into, are willing to buy into, to try to get the like, I can't imagine that you want to sit here and just see this group spin its wheels. No, from it. I mean for sure, and I think you know we do have the core pieces here that um, that we need to have be a successful hockey team. And I mean, I, I I really believe in our group. I believe in our core players. I believe in our young guys. And I want to win here. Uh, I want to be a Canuck. I I want to win here as a Canuck. And you know, I, I really believe in our group. And um, you know, I just. You know, looking at management and and uh, they believe in us too, and we have to go out there and it's it's up to us now to to go out there and prove the, you know what type of team we're going to be, our identity and and um, you know what we're establishing here going forward. Uh, it's really important. It's it starts now. Well, further to Jeff's question, um, I think a guy like yourself and other people in that room, I don't know if you'd want to have another rebuild. Still don't know if we, if that's needed, but. Has the new uh, management group sat down with you guys this morning? Is there something planned with that? Have you heard from ownership in regards to if there's going to be a rebuild or if it's just going to be let's go all in? No, I mean, I, I don't think anybody wants to rebuild here. Um, you know, again, like I said, I think we have the core pieces. I think we have the young guys to to take the next step, and and, um, and we have a foundation here. It's just a matter of us going out there and doing it. Um, again, being all of us holding each other accountable, holding – a higher standard, I think, is the best way to put it in our room where we know what type of team we have. We just got to go out there and do it now, and uh, there's no excuses. That was Canucks captain Bo Horvat speaking with the media after the Canucks' first game day skate with new head coach Bruce Boudreau. And the part we really wanted to hear there was a couple of answers towards the end from Bo, Bo Horvat, his thoughts about you know whether there is a new direction for the team coming. And I, I got to say, 
I'm not surprised at all to hear those answers from Bo Horvat, right? I mean, he is in the prime of his career. He's a competitive guy. I would have been shocked to hear him say, you know what? I think we need to take a step back for a few years. <laughs> I think this team really needs a full rebuild, and we need to jettison a bunch of pieces. That would have been stunning to hear <laughs> from an NHL Yannick captain. Hansen. Leave that to Yannick Hansen. <laughs> yes, exactly. He's <laughs> like, I agree with Yannick. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, you know, Horvat. Horvat now, it's a monthly occurrence. It's a monthly event where Horvat addresses his Canucks future and his frustration with winning. That's a bad sign. <laughs> when your captain has to do that on an like, it's not like he's expiring now. No. It's not like there's extent. It, they, they're not even eligible to do an extension for another six months. And for the last year, it's like on a monthly basis, Horvat has to answer about how happy he is here. And whether or not he'd like to stay, like, yikes, yikes. They need to get that off of the front pages. And not that anyone reads newspapers anymore, but they need to get that off of, you know, being a top-line consideration for media, for fans. That needs to stop being news. Like, you'll know that this Canucks team is back on track when that's not a story. But realistically, how does that become not a story? It's, one, they start winning like crazy, which yeah. I, don't, I don't see on or the horizon. Two, they rebuild. Two, they either move him, or three, they resign him. Right, those are the options available totally. to make it not a story. We're not. I don't. We're not getting clarity on any of those fronts. No. For in the immediate future, right, so it is going to be a, a story. It yeah. is going to take a while. You're right. It is going to be a story, and he's going to have to do it every month for the rest of his next tenure. Yeah. Or, or you're right. Until well, he signs. well, certainly. I mean, you just think about what you know. The end of year exit meetings with the media are going to be for Bo Horvat. That's going to be the topic of consideration, right? Hey, you're eligible for an extension now. What, what do you think about that? What does that look like? I feel bad for the guy. When I do it, when I have to do it, I feel awful. Like, I'm just like, it, it sucks that you have to do this for the 10th time in the last 10 months. It is. And, man, so many people in this organization have been put in positions like that, right? Answering the same questions over and over, this feeling of being stuck in the mud, and it seems like that direction is going to be changing now. We'll wait and see what happens with the hockey operations department. But as we said, those conversations aren't going – no matter who comes in to lead this team in the front office, those conversations around Bo Horvat specifically are not going anywhere in the near term. Now, that was Captain Bo Horvat speaking to the media – Later today, as we've said many times, Canucks owner Francesco Aquilini and interim general manager Stan Smeal will address the media at 3.30. Bruce, Bruce Boudreaux at 4.15 will talk as well. You can hear it all here live on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. Drancer, what is, what's the most important message that Francesco Aquilini needs to deliver today when he speaks to the media? He needs to take accountability. I think I think it would help if the club announced that they were bringing in a Mike Ford or a consultant or or some someone to help the organization bring in the next general manager. Because I think I think the fact of the matter is is that after eight years, the crisis of confidence that consumers have around this organization extends beyond the general manager suite. Like th- this this problem was not solved on Sunday. In, in the minds of most of the hardcore fans that support this team. And, you know, they'll probably still have a lot of fans and, you know, a lot of families and people who just want to enjoy a night out at a hockey game, right? But hardcore fans, people who live and die with this team, who pay attention, I, I think Francesco's Q rating's taken an awfully, lo- like, big hit because of the fact that the, the ownership group tolerated, tolerated just such clear mismanagement for so long. 
under Benning's guidance. And, you know, I think he has to answer for that, and I think it would be awfully helpful if he indicated with more than words but with action something that placed him at arm's length from the from the search for a new head of hockey operations or, or a general manager. I think that would mean a lot. For me, that's what I would be, like, recommending <laughs> just, just from right. – just from a PR standpoint, we'll see what happens. I suspect there is no chance that we hear that. I, I suspect there is going to be uh, no hint of any relinquished control or, or something that might meaningfully address the concerns of the fan base as it pertains to this ownership group. Definitely just some clarity on what the process looks like in the near term. And as you said, one of the things you're hearing is no one is expecting this to take a long time, right? This is going to be... We, we think, or at least there's reason to believe that they, they'll be able to find their new leadership in the front office relatively quickly, or like certainly they want to find their new leadership in the front office relatively quickly. But we still, I think, need to have clarity on, as you said, what does that process look like? Who's the one doing the kind of nitty-gritty due diligence and phone calls in order to identify those candidates and also what the timeline is? I think that's a massively important part of this as well because – Again, the clock's ticking on some big organizational changes, and every day that they don't have the right person in charge is a missed opportunity. We've been saying that before they made these changes, right, that you need to get whoever's going to be in charge long-term in the building, get them settled, get them acclimated, so they can really start to get a grip on where this franchise is headed. So I think the timeline is very important as well. That's the forward-looking stuff. But I think it's going to be really interesting to hear from him about kind of the backwards-looking things as well. In his opinion – why didn't the Jim Benning regime work out? Why did it end like this? Why was the move made specifically now? Was it a direct result of what we saw unfold at Rogers Arena on Saturday night? I think the answer to those questions, yes, they are you know, looking back at things that have already transpired, but I think the perspective he has on all of those events is also going to inform what we should expect going forward from totally. this team. 100%. And, you know, look, I think they made a really smart coaching hire. I really do. I can't I can't express enough that I think that was a really smart decision for an awfully for an awful awful number of reasons, like a ton of reasons. That was a good hire. But I still think there are massive storm clouds over this organization in terms of its process, in terms of the involvement of ownership explicitly, and in terms of charting a direction that, you know, is independent, has some autonomy, is fully invested in terms of the ability to spend on upgrading facilities and bringing this organization back to its perch as one of the best hockey clubs in the world, um, it's fallen off of that. Like, it's far off of that right now. There is a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, you know, this building that we're in right now is rapidly aging. Rapidly. Um, you know, there, there are there are facilities, player-facing facilities, that are rapidly aging. This club doesn't have a designated practice facility most of the teams in the league now, that's like a that's like the first place you take a player yeah. when you're recruiting him to be a free agent. You take them to your multi-million dollar practice facility, hundred a million dollar practice facility, often in some gorgeous, you know, shared public space with a bar and fans and stands and I mean, there's so much work that needs to go into this club both on the ice and off of the ice. So much care. So much care that has been neglected. And you know, they need to ownership needs to address that and convince this market again today that they see it, understand it, and have 
a vision for how to bring in someone that can get them back on track. That's that's the key challenge for ownership. Today. And the things you're describing is, you know, we always talk about a president of hockey ops in terms of, okay, he's a buffer between the general manager. He's someone who can manage up. He can communicate the vision of the general manager to the owner. He can get in front of the cameras and answer questions. That's all important. But there are big picture non-day-to-day things like you describe, right? The infrastructure of your team, the arena, the practice space, all of that, that, you know, is probably – a general manager has a lot in his plate. That's a lot. If he has to deal with that stuff too, that's a tremendous amount of all of a sudden in one person's portfolio. And that's why so many teams these days are bringing in multiple people. You know, the days of just the one general manager who does all of that, those are rapidly going it, to the history books. It's too complicated. And you know what? It gets exposed as too complicated, especially when the real world is at the gates of, of, the, of hockey, as we've seen, right? You need to have someone who's like the check when, so that when your hockey people say, hey, we think Logan Mayu's great value at 31, you've got someone who's got enough real-world business experience who says, no, no, That's not stop. worth it. Not worth stop. it. Stop. Yeah. Or, or so that, you know, when, when a, a terrible, heinous thing is occurring around your team and you're seven games away from the Stanley Cup final, someone's like, hey, wait, stop it. Winning does not matter more than this right now. We are... You know, men in this world and need to do make the right decision. Um, we have a duty of care here. You know, that's that's also why you need someone who's not just focused on the hockey minutia, but someone with the wider angle lens, the dynamic viewpoint of what an organization's role is in this community and how to win on the ice too. Both matter, and you know what? Honestly, not not to eat, not in equal parts either, right? You need someone with real vision to execute that. We will wait and see what Canucks owner Francesco Aquilini has to say when he talks to the media. Again, 3.30. You can hear it here live on Sportsnet 650, followed by Bruce Boudreaux at 4.15, also live on 6.50. By the way, we've got the game. Puck drop at 7 o'clock against Alex Edler and the LA Kings. Pre-game with the guys on the People Show. Post-game with Sat and Bick. And, again, Bick Nazar will have Canucks Central, a three-hour edition of Canucks Central. Uh, for the first hour from noon to 1, he will be joined by former NHL player, former Canuck Mike Santorelli, who did play for a season under Bruce Boudreau in Anaheim. So you'll want to hear what Mike Santorelli has to say about how Boudreau can impact this Canucks team and what he was like to play for. Okay, so you want to keep it locked here on Sportsnet 650 for the remainder of the day. Tons more Canucks coverage coming up. You've got it on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.